From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. There was a long period when towns grew slowly. Perhaps down near the river, a factory was built. A ring of residences circled the central business and industry. The town grew. ReSound is a remix of music, documentaries, found sounds, sound bites, and audible flotsam and jetsam we find all over the world. We peruse the airwaves, the internet, international audio festivals, and other oral nooks and crannies where we unearth great finds to bring you each week on ReSound. The city had to go up or out. The cities didn't just grow. They exploded. A city is a living, breathing animal. It has a pulse, a heartbeat, and a collective experience that constitutes an organism all its own. And not unlike people, cities are known for their outstanding characteristics, their beauty, their scrappiness, their sophistication, their corruption. Today on ReSound, the experience of the city, from the bicycle seat, the planner's map, and the poet's pen. Stay with us. Cab drivers may know the layout of any given metropolis, and urban planners may know the blueprints, but no one knows the city streets like a bike messenger. They're the ones threading the needle through frenzied traffic, bustling commuters, and pop-up obstacles. Katie Burningham painted this audio portrait of the streets of London and the riders whose lives depend on them. You pulled out into me, mate. Some people kind of get into it because they need a job. Some people get into it because they like riding bikes. Zero four is zero four not. Most people quit after the first week. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get that. Typical courier is male, and he's about 26, and he's got a tattoo. It's almost 10 and the city's beginning to wake up a little bit. Beginning to see more couriers out. Well, well. It's kind of like being in the office night with bosses being there. It's just nice. The city is our office. Good Off we go. 0404. I'm Nat Attack, and I'm from London, I guess, and I work for Creative Couriers. My name is Buffalo Bill, and the name on my passport is Bill Chidley, and I'm the editor of Moving Target Fanzine, which is a website for couriers. And uh, I was a courier for 14 years in London, and I finished in, I suppose it would be Christmas Day, 1999. My name is Will. I am 43. I'm a cycle courier. I've been a courier since 1992, end of 92. Oh, I'm a controller. I get to tell messengers what to do, which isn't always the easiest, because they're such individuals. Going to Paul Phillips, Flick Cross Street. 
Street, first right, Regent Street, please. Okay, so my first pickup of the day, and I'm on Broadwick Street, kind of on the corner of Duck Lane. It's a good way for me to stretch my legs in the morning, at least. Zero four zero four. I can't really remember why I became a cycle courier. Uh, my CV was a bit scanty. I think I saw the couriers, and uh, I was I was into cycling, um, and so I thought I'll give it a go as a courier. So I joined some tiny little firm where I was the only rider and got knocked off in my first week uh, by a taxi doing a U-turn on Oxford Street. Thought this isn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Uh, took a few more months off and then started again. And that's where I've been ever since. I am tragically bad with boys and I had a really bad breakup and was uh, dry cycling home completely drunk and fell off my bike and broke my elbow. And in the course of the month that I wasn't allowed to be on my bike because I couldn't stretch my arm enough to actually reach the handlebars, I decided that what I really wanted to do was be a courier. Uh, a lot of my friends were couriers, my friends I was out drinking with were couriers. So I got my bike rebuilt and that was, that was it. That's a more interesting question as to why people continue than why they start. Wee, 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 wee. Up. So, um, just coming up Wigmore Street. It's really weird. I normally catch the commuters on their way home at night. I haven't had to deal with commuters on their way into work. At five to nine, if you're going south over London Bridge, everyone is walking towards you and they look like penguins. So the couriers call that the march of the penguins. And they kind of walk off the edge of the pavement and then they're in the road and they're in your way. And it's like, you know, there's like 5,000 of you. What, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run you all down, you just can't, you know. But you know, you should know as a courier that, you know, they're gonna be there marching. Right behind you. I went to UCL, University College London, part of the University of London. Uh, went there to do anthropology, uh, changed to English literature. So I, I spent four years at university. Um, and then I left, I graduated, I signed on and then became a courier. Um, it's my three-line CV, university unemployed courier. I was homeschooled and I tested highly and just, you know, my mother pushed me really hard when I was a kid. So I went to university two years early. I started university at 16. And uh, I kept with that and then when I decided I didn't care anymore, then that was it really. So now I, yeah, now I ride my bike. I did some um, writing for the student magazine. I took some pictures as well. Uh. Here we are approaching Senate House, uh, part of the University of London, where I spent many a happy hour in the library. Jumping in red light, off we go. <clears throat> I have two or three cameras in my bag, small ones, when I'm couriering. So I do take a lot of pictures as I, I cycle around. Uh, 
I'm on my own for like, you know, nine hours a day and I have a chance to really think about what I'm doing with my life constantly. Same I fight with my boyfriend. I will be thinking about that all day. I will be obsessing about it, or even if like it's not a fight, say I've got like some kind of weird, I was like, what did he mean by that? Like complete girl out, like, oh, I'm not sure what that meant. You know, you can just, you just obsess about everything. Some things that I started out in the morning thinking are good, by the end of the day, you're like, oh God, I'm a really, really bad person. I've messed up my entire life. Not thinking is the best day possible. My favourite days was when it, there was loads of work and it was warm but not too warm so the, the road surface is nice and grippy so I could go really quick through the corners and you know get a nice rush, not much traffic around. Any day that someone was paying me to ride a bike was good. of a courier who'd been run over by a skip lorry in uh, near Edgeware Road, right in West 2. He was, you know, he'd been removed from the scene, it was just his bicycle. Uh, that is something you do not want to see. Cool, I'm just coming up to Marlebone Lane. Um, about three months ago, I was coming up through here and uh, had stopped and was trying to let a truck go past. I was in the middle of the road, wanting to turn right. And a and I didn't realize that the, the truck in front of me, the really big lorry in front of me, I moved away from it and there was a lorry behind me as well. Which didn't and uh, I went under it. It's really actually one of the most amazing accidents ever. I ended up underneath the lorry and nothing wrong with me at all. Sometimes you fall off, sometimes you get hurt. You get hurt a lot more in this business than you do in any other. It's not that big of a deal. You clean the blood up, you go home, you have a rest, you get back on your bike the next day and you do it all over again. All ready, listen, all ready, listen. Uh, 0404. Turn left. Holding three. Right here. Carry on, please carry on. The good messengers are like little businessmen, they're just clocking off the pounds. Every time you turn the pedals, you've earned another penny. There you are as a messenger, doing something really physical. You're literally turning the wheels of commerce. Most days you get home, you feel tired, and you have a big meal, and uh, you get a nice, warm, satisfying glow. I beat the city.
into Epworth Street. Quite like this bit of the city. This bit of EC1, EC2. Being able to learn a city from the ground up is amazing. It's not been done up like Shoreditch. Oh, well, it's one of the cool things. You, you get to see all of central London and you get to see things in London that no one else sees. Or, and that's kind of like Superman. You know, I can go anywhere. I've got this magic pass, you know, I can, I can go in here. I can go, oh, high court, I can go in there. Here we are, one of my favorite streets, Montague Place, which is the rear of the British Museum. You notice it's just this whole organic feel for how the city is and being able to know where little, my favorite was discovering all the weird secret hidden parks and things because, you know, who knew there was an absolutely massive, beautiful, beautiful park with a huge magnolia tree in it right behind Holborn Station. I had no idea it was there until I was delivering there. I'm always on the lookout for things, yeah, in as much as you can be. And also, you, sometimes I'll see something and not have time and I think, oh, I'll, I'll go back and do that. I do see the world in still images. I love coming back over Waterloo Bridge. As you're going over, you can see everything. You can see the London Eye, then just right in front of you, you can see a big clock. You can see what time it is, and you can see all the water and all the boats. And, you know, it's just a really beautiful city. I used to date a guy that lived down in SE1, and when we were going back to his place, we were in Cycle Home, and both of us were riding way too fast and slightly drunk and brakeless and like holding hands over the bridge. And it's just really warm, and the sky feels so electric when you're on your bike sometimes. The thing that I miss about being a messenger is looking at the sky. I spend a lot of time looking at the sky, because you want to make sure that you've got the right clothes on, you know, what's going on. Is it going to rain? Messengers would have 99 different names for rain. Rain with drops this big, that make me really wet and cold. Rain with drops this big, that make me really wet and cold, and there's a lot of them. Rain that's like the inside of a cloud, and my glasses get all steamed up because my cycling cap won't keep the rain out of them. You go from a situation where the whole of the city is your playground and you're looking at the sky the whole time and you've got limitless horizons and then all of a sudden you're sitting in a box and your horizons are severely limited. Hi, uh, Courier. Cheers. Try and go into an office there. Have you looked out the window today? There's some lovely clothes out there. Hey, cheers. Even on a rainy day, I walk in and be like, oh, bet you wish you were indoors on a day like this. I'm like, well, not really, actually. I worked in an office for two days. Um, I kind of like the idea that you get to dress up in an office, but... Hi. Oh, yes, I know. You have uh, something from Leanne going to Curtain Road? Curtain Road. Okay, some days you just go from office to office and everybody would be having a bad day. And you kind of get the sense of the energy of the city. 
We had a party before. Yeah, before of course, actually. You know, everyone's boss is in a bad mood and screaming down the phone at their PA. And you kind of want to say to everyone, look, you know, just don't worry about it. Everyone's having a bad day. It's not a problem. Just, you know, go, just go home, you know, come back tomorrow. But in a business community, there's only one thing lower than couriers, and that's office cleaners. And sometimes they get treated a lot worse than, than office cleaners. I think most office cleaners get to go in the front of the building. I hate that, man. <laughs> About three times a day or something, you run into some places like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you can't deliver here. You have to go somewhere else. And before you even stepped in there, there are two guys who practically lift you out and <laughs> tell you to go around the back. You know, it's like, well, you could put a sign. You think I'm not important. You know, see the name on the parcel? He's important. I'm now sitting at Cambridge Circus. Cambridge Circus is a, a junction in central London and a good place to stand by. And I'm going EC2, which is a couple of miles away, and hoping to get another job to go with this one because it's a long way to go uh, for three quid, which is what I'll get paid. So I'm sitting here drinking some chocolate milk looking at the tourists and the locals and the traffic jam. You're sitting at Cambridge. You think this is, this is madness, isn't it, really? This traffic is madness and you wonder why these people are hurrying around and who they're talking to on their phones. And I think, I think it's not for me. Maybe people look at me when I'm on my bike and, and maybe they see the pointlessness of it in what I'm doing. Oh, blimey. Zero four. Yeah, holding two. Carry on, please, carry on. I run into my friends all day on the street. Like, it's not such a big circuit in London that I don't see this group of like 500 of my closest friends every day. I could ride out of my house and turn and I'd see someone I know and say hello to them and ride down another 200 yards, see someone else, say hi to them. I mean, I never went to university, but I guess it's like that. God, we all drink together, we all, we all do races together, we travel together in the summer, you know, we go and do races in other countries. No, it's just this ongoing worldwide organization where you know you're going to show up and they're going to buy you a pint and you're going to have a floor to sleep on for a week. I know. It's just the way it works. <laughs> we started having messenger championships, like World Messenger Championships, in 1993. Then we became aware of all these other messenger communities all over the world. Every city with couriers has their own smaller alley cat. And um, an alley cat is an invitation for couriers and couriery types to come and race and the person who organizes the race will set up a course set up you know a certain number of checkpoints certain places 
It's a planned race. It'd be wrong to say it's unplanned, but traffic isn't blocked off. Quite often, nobody official will know anything about it. It's underground. There's one coming up this weekend that's going to be in London called the Great British Summer one. And unfortunately, I'm going to miss it. It's going to be a really, really cool one because it's going to be really fast. And I kind of wish I was going to be there for that. But instead, I'm going to be in Paris uh, for the pre-event for the European Courier Messenger Championships. I know there will be a few Americans. There will be a lot of people from Basel, from Switzerland, from all over the place. People coming to compete against each other. But mostly actually just to hang out and to drink and to look at each other's bikes. I quite like to go to that. It starts by the um, Statue of Liberty. Do you know that? Do you know that little island in the middle of us? It's one of my favourite places in Paris. (laughs) You could just spend all of your time going to messenger events. Some people do. It's the beginning of the race. Um, This is the main race. Last night was like the out-of-towners alley cat. And uh, today is the main race, and it's not limited just to out-of-towners. There will be lots of lovely Parisian people here. I think there's like maybe 50 of us, and with bikes and everybody kind of hanging out and pouring over their maps. Go up the stairs. Oh. And and, uh, we organize a running start. Like you put your I'm a little nervous, and I'm really tired. Last night was a really hard race. And even though I got done with the race and I had a beer and went home and got some food and some sleep, I still feel really, really knackered. One minute! Go down! Stay! Stay! Oh, this is gonna be really bad. Everything this we try to get really them. really bad idea. Like, it's gonna be bike down. It's gonna like, be a nice bike down. Come on, come on, come on! Whoa! Okay! Long race. 
We didn't make it to the last checkpoint. We made it to the last checkpoint, but they'd already left. They left about three minutes before us. It's good, but I have no idea where I was the whole time. <laughs> I think we rolled past uh, Eiffel Tower twice, but I didn't see it once. So that tells you how much you look at the scenery during the race. I mean, it's only the people. You see, like in Matrix, you see these binary codes, so just like zeros and ones. Is it dangerous uh, when you take risks <laughs> and uh, there is a lot of uh, motors? We have to be careful for everybody, every uh, user of the road. I was coming to the third checkpoint and coming down the hill. And then I heard whoop, and I could hear the sirens get like closer and closer. And then the cop motorcycle hit me on the side and it shot me like across like the ground. I was a little shaken. And I ended up getting some water and slowly riding over here. I can see roughly about 50 people here and uh, part of our drinking uh, soda, part of is drinking beer. So this is the thing. The event ends always like into a kind of a united party. <laughs> I would have loved to have won. I'm in Chicken first, but if I don't, then, well, there's some beer. And there's like lots of couriers from everywhere that'd be nice to meet. So that when they throw events in their cities, I can come over and race them in Berlin and race them, race them in Tokyo next year. You know, lots of exciting, fun stuff. It's something to look forward to when there's no work and it's raining and, you know, it's supposed to be summer. It's good. Well, well. Um, I don't have very much in the way of family, um, and I live in a different country from my parents, and they're pretty much family for me. Couriers, you know, they're just they're just really really solid good people. William. It's easy to think about it in terms of cycle carrying as its own small society. So it's really easy to think, how can I get better within my own small society? And then occasionally the bigger picture enters. I'm like, well, no, 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 it's not just about like how I can be the best female alley catter or the fastest girl on the road or this, that, or the other thing. It's also about, you know, what am I doing with my life? And then sometimes those are bad days. And sometimes those are good days where I actually, you know, think about things more and try and figure out what I actually want to do with myself. Roswell Road. Just up there is the uh, office of Magnum Photos, the famous photo agency, home of all my heroes. And if I ever get to walk through that door as a photographer rather than a courier, uh, then I'll be smiling. I suppose it, it does sound, doesn't it, like I am an unusually unambitious person, really. I used to dread that question, you know, what do you do when you're a courier? Uh, which was bad enough when you're in your twenties, you know. Yeah. And my family, when I started, I, I, I always had to explain them what a courier was. You know, trying to explain them that the difference between a courier and a paperboy. <laughs> I always thought that being a courier was a proper job because you know it's hard 
and they pay you for it. I mean, that's a proper job, isn't it? If you, if you want a, a, a job with prospects, you don't become a courier. But on the other hand, if you, if you like riding a bike, then, you know, it's kind of perfect. Uh, why do I continue? Well, yeah, because I can't think of anything better to do that's, you know, easily available. Um, but it's like a litmus test, because if people think, well, you know, that, that this is somehow um, unacceptable or deplorable, <laughs> that you should be a 43-year-old bike career, then that's fine, because that's a really quick way of sifting you out that I'm not going to get along with you. People aren't what they do. My last parcel was, was picking up from Harrods multiple packs of Harrods mince pies for Ridley Scott. Well, well. So, as you know, it's Christmas Eve, Ridley Scott didn't have any mince pies, let's get a courier. It kind of sums up the absurdity of being a courier, because, you know, what am I doing? I'm just picking up a rich man's mince pies. Why the hell can't he go and get his bloody mince pies? You know, why, why does it matter? Uh, do name back, you come, please, back, you come. 0404. Zero, four, City Messengers by Katie Burningham. The story was produced for Falling Tree Productions and it first aired on BBC Radio 4. To hear more work from Falling Tree, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. You don't need to ride or walk, hire a cyclist, or even get out of bed to get a message to us. Just email any questions, comments, rants, or raves to resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. I'll, I'll kind of think of my map. It's just a large work of fiction. Uh, but instead of writing in prose, I write in streets, and I write in avenues, and I, I color those things with stories. Neil Greenberg loves his cities, both the real one, Detroit, for which he runs a transit system for the University of Michigan, and a fantasy one that he's created in dizzying detail, just, well, because he wanted to. Neil has been drawing maps since he was a kid, and now he's drawn a really, really big one. And I'm not talking about like a few streets, a library, and a town fountain. I'm talking about sewer placement, a complicated public transit system, public parks, industrial zones, rich neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, everything. It is all there on 17 huge sheets of paper. And this fake city has become the real place in which Neil explores and experiments with urban planning ideas and techniques. Now, Radio producer Zach Rosen, also a Detroit native, got interested in this huge map and decided to create an audio interpretation of this amazing city, fake though it may be. Zach told us how he came to find out about this behemoth of a project and how he worked with Neil to bring it to life in sound. Well, Neil and I uh, shared some mutual friends, and I think we met once or twice and someone else told me that he was working on this incredible fake city project and I said wow that might be 
there might be some potential there for a radio story. So I went over and and met with him and looked at his maps and kind of really for many months was just trying to think about how I would do it. I didn't want to just do a profile about this guy who made this map because, I mean, his project is so comprehensive and multifaceted and kind of otherworldly. I really wanted to honor that tone because Neil not only has this really amazing map, but you point to an area on the map and he's like, oh, you know, this is where the city councilman lives. This is where uh, the single mother lives and she's been, you know, having these issues and, you know, she can't get to work on time because she doesn't have a car. And so I wanted a way to access the narratives in his head because he hadn't written them down anywhere. Which brings us to another layer of this project in that you took real people in Detroit and cast them into parallel roles in this fake world. Yeah, well, well, that seemed to make sense because Neil is this real guy in Detroit who has created this kind of parallel world on the map. So, of course, they're going to be, um, you know, residents of this parallel world that he's created. So we thought, okay, who are the people who, who live there? And we didn't want to just make up people and have actors read scripts because Neil's map seems so real. So we needed the characters in the story to seem so real. So real, in fact, that they are living and breathing the things they're talking about in the fake world. They're basically projecting Detroit onto the map, which is a lot of what Neil has done. To what end is this map? Would you say that it's a piece of art, that it's a piece of research, that it is a novel writ large, a soap opera writ large? I would say yes, 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 and yes. I totally see it as art. I totally see it as, you know, kind of an urban planning essay. I see it as a folk tale. I see it as a vision for the future. So it's, it's all these things. That was producer Zach Rosen. Now let's listen to Fake City, Real Dreams. So this, this bus right here, we're on the 26th, the 26th junction right now. Um, you know, you go back even 10 years. This was not the worst area of the city, but it was just kind of flat. There wasn't a whole lot of new stuff going on. Um, you know, there was the occasional news store would open, but, you know, you had a lot more vacant property. You had a lot more stuff going out of business. You had a ton of parking lots. And that's something you don't see much uh, on Junction anymore. And, you know, the, the fact that the 26 is a really frequent, really easy-to-use bus route, that's, that's been a big part of that. You're talking about this place as if it's real. You have this narrative and a history. How did you get to these details? That's all places are. Places are just assemblages of people and of stories. And it was one thing to name the streets. But, you know, if, if I wanted to tell a story, you got to have people there to tell that story. This, this guy right here, for instance. Breaking, breaking. His name is Jack. He was instrumental in getting the bike lanes that we're, we're experiencing on Junction Street right now. Hey, you know, here, pull the cord. This bus stops here at Junction and Rappaport. Let's get off. Let's talk to him. Let's uh, hear what's on his mind. There was once upon a time when the bike had uh, critics who used to say, the bicycle is an invention from the 1800s, you know, and we don't need 19th century technology. But I, I think the bicycle could be the, the vehicle of the 21st century. Are there a bunch of riders here? Oh, absolutely. They're not recreational riders, most of them. These are people who use the bike lanes to get to work, to do all the stuff they, a lot of people would use a car to do. It's utility, it's utility, it's utility. And the city and developers have really been able to see that. Ever since the city started meeting with different merchants to determine where bike parking should be, I think the merchants also realized that the cycling community, you know, exists as, as a market and as a 
potential customer base. What does he mean by that? There was a record store, for instance, on Newmarket and Junction that, you know, you couldn't get in off the street. And once the bike lanes went into effect, well, they reopened their street entrance. And before you knew it, you had a little community of people right out in front of the store who were always talking about the latest music, whatever, and they all showed up on their bikes. It was really cool. And you, you started to get a lot more interest in doing this on a more widespread basis. I can't say hi to every cyclist anymore. You know, and, and I'm sure the same thing was true between automobile drivers once upon a time. Hey, what's up? That's another guy with an automobile. So, I mean, to the extent that I, I'm no longer able to, to greet everybody else I see on a bike is, is a good sign, in my opinion. You know, it, it's a, a funny indicator, but I think a necessary one. Turning left. You see all these people gathering around right now? They are here for the ribbon cutting on Bridge X. Uh, this is a bridge linking our city to the city across the river, and historically we've had this little kind of friendly or not so friendly rivalry, but uh, we we eventually concluded that if we both want to rise, we got to rise together, and increasing options to get between the two cities, well, we're only going to do that if we have more ways to do that. And after years of anticipation, this afternoon, Mayor Nguyen is cutting the ribbon on Bridge X. Cool, let's go, let's go over and, and hear her speak. My name is Vanessa Nguyen, and I'm here this afternoon to share with you my excitement about what this bridge is going to do for our region. I'm looking at her up on standing near the podium right now. She looks like she's yes. in her 30s. <laughs> Not even. She's, she's, oh. I think she's 28. She is half Vietnamese, half Nicaraguan, and um, she is a, a political mystery. The process to get to where we are today took years and years. She's the city's first female mayor, and she is the youngest mayor we've ever had. For a long time, we had old men with old ideas as, as mayor, and she's really been the, the, the public face on the new attitude of leadership in this area. This bridge is a metaphor for who we are as a region, but it's also a concrete example of what progressive thinking and acting can do. Thank you. These realistic exercises in, in decision-making, in city planning, they're rewarding. When I've set up a struggle of sorts on the map, that, that really makes it seem like a real place. So 19th and Fairgrounds isn't just some random spot on the map where two non-existent lines meet at a non-existent intersection. It's, it's, it's a place where, where stuff happened and history was made. From what you've shown me so far, it seems like the people in your imagined world are really taking their destiny into their own hands. So are they being taught how to do this at a young age? Absolutely. I saw an example of that done um, around recycling right after Christmas. Wait, who is this? This is Mindy. She is a teacher here at Wasserman Middle School. Got it. When um, those Christmas trees needed to be collected, and sure enough, they also needed wood chips for the park. And so an elementary school group of children collected the trees. And they had a drop-off, and they organized the whole thing, and they talked to the community people that they had to talk to. You probably get this question a lot, but 
How are they doing on standardized tests? Well, they do okay, but the important thing is they're able to think. Those kids learn skills that will serve them throughout their lives that you may not be able to measure so easily. But when you've got a third grader talking to the mayor about, here's what we need to do, and can we send out flyers to this part of the community so that the trees can be brought, and then can we organize a group to make sure that the wood chips get distributed along the pathways, kids feel like they're like they mean something, like they're needed. Huh. So what did, what did educators from the outside think of this recycling project? When they were doing that, I remember people were saying, what are they doing over at those schools? That's a contribution, a palpable contribution they made to their community that if the curriculum had been so insular, it, it, it would have never really left the classroom. So even though they might not be doing as well on these standardized tests, it seems, since they're giving so much back to the community, does this mean that they want to stay here after graduation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, when people in the corporate community and people in the, the, the government community can see just this wellspring of ideas coming out of our, our own kids, they love it. And these kids are just excelling. Most of them go on to college, which is great, but they want to come back. They want to come back to the city they grew up in because they know that their community values their ideas. And they, they love that. Uh, so though you're saying it's fiction, you've shown me a bunch of examples of, of seemingly real-life applications for this map. So it's fiction, but... It's realistic fiction. And that's part of what makes it fun. And, you know, I've done maps before where it goes from zero to perfect in one step. And, you know, there's definitely an element of fun to that. But I figured with such a big project, why don't I try and make it more of a challenge? Why don't I try and set up some things that I would like to solve? But, you know, I'm a city guy. And I understand that every city, no matter how bad or good or poor or rich, every city has problems. And if, if I'm going to spend all this time working on a fictitious city, I, I may as well learn in the process. And I may as well use it as a test bed for some of the ideas I would like to implement in real life. Okay, so let's get back into it. So far we've heard from the biking activist, the mayor, and the kids that live in this, this fake world. What about their parents? My friend, Dina. Ten, Ten years, ago, years ago, Dina, she's a single mother. I mean, it was really rough. I was working a minimum wage job. At a fast food restaurant. Frying chicken. Working over at Wavelength, Wavelength and McKesson. McKesson. It took me two hours to get there by bus. And she wasn't living for her life. She was living, living for, for my commute. commute. Y y you know, since, since this new kind of attitude in the city, this new wave of development that some people thought was going to leave lower income people behind... People like Dina, they don't have to have jobs like that way, way out anymore. You know, they're able to find a lot more opportunities a lot closer by. Now it's nice. My bus ride's only about 15 minutes. And as as they're able to, to live lives that are more enriching and that aren't just about being at work and being on the bus and sleeping, they're able to see their communities in a whole new way. Probably the main thing is that I get to see my kids more and I have more time with them. What, what she's doing now on Saturday mornings. We get to go down to the community garden and pick out what we're going to eat, you know, that night. And they love to be part of that. And it's, it's great for me, too. Yeah. So what's the deal with community gardens? How have they affected life in this uh, fake city? It, it's not just a garden. It's kind of like a way of life. Uh, there's there's this one lady who is just a legend in that neighborhood and really the whole city. Uh, she goes by Elder Elder. Um, she 
doesn't just see it as a garden. She sees it as a complete change of mindset. But Elder Elder is pretty cool because, you know, she she's out there every morning working with the garden, but she has this like unbelievable porch on on her house, and um, she it's always open. The door is always open. You know, she's just sitting there in her in her in her rocking chair, sipping her iced tea, and anybody who might want to come up and talk to her, she will love to talk to that person. In fact, you know, the sun is setting in the sky, and she's probably out there on her porch right now. Let's go see if she wants to talk. My husband used to say, we ought to change things, not just because we don't like what's going on, but because what's going on is making us less of a human being every day. And I see that what's been happening is that we're becoming more human again that we sort of rejoined the human race, that what was taking place 15 or 20 years ago was really a deviation from the evolution of our humanity. So Elder Elder has these really big, beautiful, kind of revolutionary ideas. Yes. Is this kind of a paradigm that's set in all over the region, or is this just on her street? You know, she obviously has been thinking about this very hard for a very long time, which is awesome and which I respect tremendously. By virtue of the high price of food, we were forced to become much more self-reliant in terms of creating things. And now people have basements where they have canned the food that grew in the summertime and in the fall and have they eat all year long from the food that they have created themselves. It's given people a very different mentality. She, I think, sees something much bigger than most people can see. I think if you were to look over the next, you know, 100 years over uh, what, what kind of trajectory we're on as a city and as a population, she might be onto something. But as far as whether or not every individual resident of the city thinks the way Elder Elder does, maybe not. I don't know. We've thought about work, not as work, but as a job. We didn't realize that the function of work is to not only produce things, but to develop skills, to develop cooperation. And, and we found that, we rediscovered it. And we discovered, we, we discovered that the jobs, which we thought was so essential to our lives, we realized suddenly that jobs have only lasted a few hundred years that before the Industrial Revolution, and even up to a hundred years ago, most people didn't have jobs. They did work. And, and it's just a bit amazing what's happened over the last 15 years. I, I just want to thank you for showing me around your, your world here today. Um, I'm wondering if you think this level of citizenship and cooperation that you've shown me in this fake world is possible in the world you actually live in. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's starting to happen. People are finally starting to realize maybe we've had our priorities wrong. Maybe segregation and clinging desperately to outdated ideas and fearing innovation 
maybe that's taking a toll on more than just our economy. Maybe it's taking a toll on how we see life and how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. But undeniably, certain little pockets are developing where where you can get to know people and where you can talk about these issues and where people are seeing that, you know, if we keep ignoring the problems, they're only going to get worse. So it's reaching a breaking point now, which is wonderful. You know, I can't wait for it to break because there's so much pent up good stuff that could be happening here that just isn't happening because there's there's this commitment to the status quo. I understand that, you know, my creation is not going to be a perfect script for where we go from here, but I hope at least for me it 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 will it will inform me as as I move forward and I try and get stuff done for real. There's so much change that needs to happen here that it's nothing but opportunity for people who want to step up and make that change. Neil Greenberg continues to polish his fake metro region in the comfort of his own midtown Detroit apartment. Jack, the cycling activist from the story, was played by Jack Van Dyke. It's utility, it's utility, it's utility. In real life, he's also a cycling activist. His latest project is running a new nonprofit bike shop and community center in Detroit. It's called The Hub. Mindy, the teacher from Wasserman School in the fake world. Kids feel like they mean something, like they're needed. In real life, a teacher and administrator at an alternative school in a suburb north of Detroit. Dina, the single mother, was played by Monica Isaac. Now it's nice, my bus ride's only about 15 minutes. Monica actually doesn't have any kids. She works at WDET, Detroit Public Radio. Mayor Nguyen was played by Amanda LeClaire. The process to get to where we are today took years and years. Another WDET employee. Lastly, Elder Elder, the philosopher queen from the end of the story. And it's just a bit amazing what's happened over the last 15 years. Was played by Grace Lee Boggs a lifelong activist and community organizer who lives on Detroit's east side. I'm Zach Rosen. That was Fake City, Real Dreams, by producer Zach Rosen with Neil Greenberg. To see pictures of Neil's fake city, visit thirdcoastfestival.org and click on More under On Resound. So I think it's all about people projecting their hopes for the future onto their city. You know, dream big, but think about the incremental steps that it'll take to get to that kind of really big dream. The show State of the Reunion explores how various American cities and towns create community and transcend challenges. In one of their earliest episodes, they went to Detroit, a city that steadily lost its industry, its population, and its sense of identity. Nevertheless, host Al Letson sees light in the city that brought us Motown, the Cadillac, Fago Pop, and Jiffy Muffin Mix. His tribute is part poem, part lament, and part love song.
friend once told me the best thing about Detroit was leaving it. Driving off and watching the city fade away in the rear view mirror, feeling the steadiness of the road coming up to meet you far different than riding through the Motor City where potholes greet you at every turn, the instability of asphalt, the failing of infrastructure, the deflation of dreams. And so she, like 10,000 other Detroiters, leave. Every year, 10,000 people leave. Conventional wisdom says there's nothing here anymore. Empty warehouses where the American dream was manufactured for wholesale, now gone and shipped to another country. And yet, it wasn't always like this. Detroit was a city of promise, where the automobile brought jobs and innovation and people. It had a love affair with a young country that was spreading her influence across the world. It was a place where the music of the city was a soundtrack for the nation, a healing balm in turbulent times. And, and so it came to me that this, this is a love song that started on the banks of the Detroit River in 1701, when the fur trader, Cadillac, and his men, weary from travel, laid down their burdens and called this place home. It's a song full of promise and anger and love and lust. It's a sound of blood, broken dreams left behind. Chief Pontiac's failed attempt to push the British out. It's the fire next time that sweeps through the city in 1805, leaving nothing but ash, soot-filled skies, and yet they build and yet they come. Push it, push it, modern marvels waiting to be born. A clean slate, a new idea, and yet they build and yet they come. 1899, and the song adds a bass line as Rand some O's opens the first auto plant and the future ain't far behind. Henry Ford in the assembly line and people begin to move. Land of opportunity, good wages, good times, and the band plays on. You may become the proud owner of one of these brand new Fords. Note the beauty of design. <laughs> 1920 and the population reaches 1 million and the city is bursting at the seams but the beat breaks down, 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 down so many different people in such a small space immigrants from Europe, migrations from the south labor tensions, birth pains of an industrial power as the UAW is born and a baby wails and a car horn blows and racial tensions erupt 1943 and 34 dead but the arsenal of democracy can't quit there's a war to fight, and the population just keeps on growing. Men, women looking for steady work, and the population just keeps on going. Lebanese and Syrian immigrants start to make the city home, and the population just keeps on growing. Black folks from the south, and the population just keeps on going. 1 million point two, 1 million point three, 1 million point four, 1959, and the soundtrack comes back. Designed by Barry Gordy. Fueled by the Funk Brothers and composed by a man named Smokey and everyone is dancing in the streets. They're dancing on the west side, they're dancing on the east side, they're dancing by the rivers but the jobs are starting to dry up and people are starting to get laid off and the cost of living is going up, up, up and people start dancing down the highways to get out of the city. And when the all-white police force stared into the eyes of the black residents, the song started sounding all funny. Notes got transposed. Rhythms got jumped, got jumped, got jumped, got jumped. Static, static, white noise, white noise, static. And the song was, and the song was, and the song was lost. In the rebellion of 67. And those who engage in looting, or arson, or sniping, or other illegal actions will have to uh, pay the consequences. Highway suburbs bussing, bussing, highway suburbs bussing, bussing, highway suburbs bussing, bussing. 
and the white folks started to walk away. 1973, as Coleman Young, the first black mayor, tried to bring it all back together. So the people, by virtue of their own labor, rebuild and establish new pride in their own neighborhood. And yet they build, and yet they leave, and yet they build, and yet they leave. Highway suburbs bussing, bussing, highway suburbs bussing, bussing. Oil prices boom, foreign cars blossom, and Detroit is running out of gas as the sirens wail and the mother cries. What's happening to the jobs? What's happening to the ghetto? What's happening to the promise of the city by the river? 1984, and the song changes tempo again. Work done moved out to the suburbs and took hope with it. Crack cocaine moves in from the city, taking up a street, then a block, then two blocks, then miles, then a city. And no one, no one is building. They're just leaving. 2002, and the beat adds a melody. A young new mayor, a gallant knight, full of the promises of tomorrow. And the song rattles out of the speakers of his SUV, shakes the blocks. Wakes the neighbors, has attitude, swagger, screams for attention, and the melody gets lost as the rattling of the 808. As the rattling of the 808. As the rattle, the rattle, the rattling of the 808 takes over the lyrics, and a singer wails. And somewhere along the line, the song got muted, speakers got blown out, leaves the sound all warped. I've made the difficult decision, I believe the most difficult decision of my life, to step down as mayor of the city of Detroit. And the rest of the nation can't hear it no more. It ain't loud like it was. It ain't booming down the street. It's a peep of what it used to be. It's a sound barely heard coming out of a broken car. Windows shattered, glass everywhere. Radio playing weekly, but somehow, somewhere, the band plays on. That was a poem written and performed by Al Letson, with music and production by Willie Evans Jr. from the show State of the Reunion. For a link to the show, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Before we go, an invitation for you. On Tuesday, March 13th, join us at The Hideout for a Third Coast listening room featuring the sounds and stories of protest. In anticipation of the upcoming NATO G8 summit, we'll spend an evening listening to stories about talking back, occupying, resisting, and agitating with special guest writer, artist, and cultural chronicler Anne Elizabeth Moore. That's Tuesday, March 13th at 7 p.m. at The Hideout. For more information, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear nearly a thousand outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Dojo, a full-service digital agency, on the web at doejo.com. Dojo, we fuel ideas that grow. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, Chicago's Navy Pier, and American Airlines. This program is partially supported by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.